Welcome to Living in the Matrix. I'm Jonathan, and I'm left of center. And I'm Rich, and I tend to lean a little bit more to the right. But the bottom line is, is together we try to look for the balance of what it means to be human in today's world. All right, let's get started, everyone. This is John. Uh, this is Living in the Matrix. I'm Jonathan, and my co-host Rich. Say hello, Rich. Hey, everybody. Great to be back. Happy Friday. We have an absolute fabulous guest today. We've got Lori Wallace, and Lori is the founder and CEO of Career Ecology. And both Rich and I have a long history with recruiters and career life and coaching. And she has a HubSpot called Work Life Empowerment. Uh, she mentors job seekers, but she has this really interesting approach because uh, she brings more than meets the eye. She calls herself a work-life doula, which I absolutely love. And uh, she talks about the hero's, the career hero's journey. Lori, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but welcome. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you. I am so excited to be here with you both too, because we all are in this space and listening to your prior shows. I know that you're always getting to the center of things, into the heart aspect, the working soul. I mean, we're going deep and that's where I exist as well. So, so excited to be here with you. Thank you for the invitation. So give our listeners sort of an understanding of your background so they know the professionalism and history, because you bring a ton of history to this conversation. Yes, thank you. Um, you know, interestingly, I have one foot. It is firmly planted in the past in the corporate world. I was an executive in banking and I was responsible for selling um, home equity line credits across the United States through telemarketing. Do you remember getting those calls? Oh, we don't quite the same way anymore. This is all pre-cell phone, you know, all of that. But I learned at that time what was involved with bringing trust or trying to cultivate trust between strangers. I was developing these scripts and I was interrupting people's dinners. So it kind of started there. And then here's what happened. You know how in life you have a big crisis and it sets you on the path. It kind of moves you over. Um, with the Twin Towers on that September 11th, I was uh, eight months pregnant and was really went into my animal state and practically birthed my child in the spot. In fact, there were a ton of women who ended up in the ER that day. It wow. was really overwhelming, you know, to that deep body and that that horror of the whole thing. And what ended up happening to me is I was laid off um, once I had my child because we went through an economic, if you call like a downturn. So I was laid yes, off in my role, <laughs> you know, experiencing that with a new baby. And, um, and my health kind of went crazy with some autoimmune and end of the day, I looked at my husband and I said, I'm switching careers. I'm getting out of this corporate thing and I want to practice radical kindness. And mm -hmm. my husband said, interesting, you know, what career path or track might that be? And as luck would have it, my recruiter had called me for another financial services role. I told him I was shifting. He ended up recruiting me to be a recruiter. Now, here's the deal. Most recruiters out there are salespeople. Um, but there are some of us that do it because we know that work, health, and love are the three parts of that stool that each needs to be really strong. And I knew when he talked to me about recruiting that I could be that one that listened, that created neutral space for dreaming, that people could cry to, vent to. And so I moved my family to Oregon. 
And I said, I'm here, let's do this. And I start working for this organization. Quickly found out that it was all about the bottom line and sales. Mm-hmm. I was clocked to keep my, my phone calls to six minutes, you know, yada, yada. So I quit and I started my own agency in 2005 to transform headhunting into human connection. Wow. And I flooded it with feminine values that aren't always welcome in business, like patience, empathy. In fact, I almost didn't even get that first job because I scored too high in empathy, apparently. Um, but it's really, really worked for me as a healthcare recruiter. Now, speed that forward to 2016. I'm doing my recruitment. I'm learning about humans. I'm experiencing their trauma, their joys, their triumphs, everything in between. And then 2016, the election and everything that occurred with culture shift, climate, and COVID. And I saw people break down. Mm -hmm. And I just saw their overwhelm and their sense of lack of power in their life. And that's when Career Ecology was born. And it is 100% about empowering individuals through authentic relating and reminding people and showing them that you're much more resilient than you realize, that it really is about awakening heart mindfulness and not leading from an ego that thinks it's all about performance and competition and every moment you think you're not good enough. The heart really is truly sovereign and it intuits and it knows and it connects with a net of attraction. And that's what I'm doing here quite specifically for job seekers. So that's the arc right there. Lori, I'm going to, so sorry, Rich, I'm going to dive in here with the first question because you absolutely captivated me with that idea. I have been recently, I, I talk to Rich about capitalism all the time. And growing up, there was the moment of greed is good. And the shareholder capitalism came into play where everything is about shareholder value. Mm-hmm. And we living the journey of 40 years of that shareholder value. And I think that era is ending. The greed is good. Capitalism is ending. And, and that is what greed, shareholder capitalism will not allow for love to enter the conversation. They will not play in the soft skills because everything has to be hard. And I love what you're doing because I think it's coming on at exactly the right time as the era shifts. People are now waking up and COVID completely obliterated the old idea. It gave people a year to absolutely pause neurologically. And you showed up. Uh, how do you, what do you think about that, that shareholder capitalism to something different idea? Ooh, love that you brought that. Yes. Okay. So. Are you guys both familiar with benefit corporations, B Corps? Yes. No. So, I am. That, so, so this is a movement that is much bigger in Europe and it should be bigger here, but I think the time is now and I'm actually part of the mm-hmm. local. And what it is, is in California, there actually is a designation of uh, a benefit corporation and you file as if you're an S Corp, you know, all of that's the same, but you actually set yourself up with the state and say, our obligations are to our stakeholders, for sure our shareholders, but also to our employees, to Mm -hmm. our community and to our environment. Now you cannot be sued by your shareholder if you made a decision that was good for your employees and slowed down revenue a little bit Mm. because you can define- Yeah. Right. And so it's really freeing for CEOs because how many times have we seen CEOs try to make the right choices and get booted? 
Yeah. You know, even the whole thing that was going on with ChatGPT, somewhat was even involved with doing the right thing with AI coming forward and wondering, you know, how can we responsibly bring this to the world? Because it could change everything within a year. And we don't know, you know, what it's capable of. And here was a board trying to do the right thing. And, you know, all this got kind of confused. So it really helps when there's a designation, a legal designation that allows you to operate in the way that you just described there, Jonathan. So, yeah, I'm, I'm all for it. And uh, as I grow, hopefully, as a company, um, I will be establishing myself as a B Corp for sure. Awesome. Well, I tend to be the more the polemicist in, in the room, um, <laughs> Laurie, and I lean a little bit more to the right. And Jonathan leans a little bit more to the left. Yes. And he's, he's done such a great job in his whole life of leading with his heart, and I've led with my head, and I'm trying to bring the heart more into the equation. But one of the things that I noticed that came up, and maybe this is not a perfect example of a B Corp, but one of the things that everybody in this room probably recognizes is there were these videos of people that would go to work every day, let's say at Twitter. And um, you've got a person, they wake up at nine o'clock in the morning, they go, they go to the gym, they go into the office, they see their friends, they get their latte, they take a meditation break, they do a little bit of work, 30, 40 minutes, then they go grab some lunch, then they um, meet up with their buddies, then they have a little bit of a, a meditation or whatever, a little bit of snooze, then they, um, it's four o'clock and they go home. And then after um, Elon takes over, 75% of the people are taken out and you're left with 25% and it's as productive as it was prior to those people being there. Now, that's probably not a fair comparison, but um, the devil's advocate in me one, wants to understand, um, is it actually, can you really go fully all the way over to one side or does it still have to be some kind of balance where there's still some shareholder value and at the same time, you're doing the good for the order of what you're trying to accomplish? Absolutely. I it, You have to have both. The balance is so critical between the head and the heart. And I think part of what I'm hearing too, and we, as we discuss this, is that it was swung so far and so hard um, yes. to headspace that, you know, we're trying to kind of bring in now compassion and respect, um, some nurturance. And so what do we, what do we have here? We have Gen Z coming in, you know, with those types of expectations. And it feels very overwhelming and quite abrupt to business owners. They don't know how to talk to some Gen Zers. They don't know how to manage this. And when I'm coaching them, when I'm coaching the leaders, I just say, you know, this is all part of the whole. This is part of how even 4.5 billion years of evolution in the natural world, this is how it works, is that you can have a new dynamic and that environment now has to make sense of it. And there might be a little bit of a sense too of things being you know, kind of overwhelming or maybe even going in a bad direction until nature comes forward and says, oh, you know, if you've watched the movie, The Biggest Little Farm, which is a spectacular film about this idea of biodynamic, the idea of diversity and cooperation. In the middle of the movie, this, this beautiful farm, which is a reawakening ecosystem, that is successful based on the principles of nature. No monocropping here. You know, we've got all different sorts of plants and, you know, really, right, everything. you got to have animals and everything. At one point, the snails almost take down all of these acres in four years of all the success that they've done. But what happened was as that was growing, well, it was the ducks that love snails. They came in and they ate something like 100,000 snails in eight days. So nature quickly adjusted French itself. Escargot. Right? Escargot. <laughs> exactly. Completely escargot. 
So, you know, I visited, I was saying to this you earlier when we, before we got on to our show here is that I recently visited this farm and there's a lot for us to learn from nature, really from a social context, from environmental, from sustainability, engineering. And I did ask the farmers, John and Molly, what is the farm teaching us this year? And they said, you know, we have learned that the lesson is stay curious and go slow. Mm. That is not aligned with capitalism. capitalism yeah, well, we, yeah right? you need, hey, we need predictable numbers. And really, that's the GE way. I think the whole shift that was so, so far to the right was really led by GE. GE created a Six Sigma program and figured out they could continually adjust their headcount every single year as a rotation. Intel started top bottoms, but the bottom 10%, lop them off. That's just the GE way. All of that came from Jack Welch because he realized you could essentially manipulate the markets so that it just kept going up and 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 up, and up. Mm -hmm. at the expense of people. That to me was why it's, and that is the thing that I think is missing here is I think employees should be first in terms of the dynamics. You take care of your employees first and then shareholder value will almost always show up. And that's what's gotten lost. Like, I don't want to throw, nobody wants to throw out capitalism. We want to throw out the approach that says the shareholder comes first. Because when you do, you don't have a heart connection to the people that are creating that possibility. Well, Jonathan and, and, and Laura, you might even be familiar with this, but do you know what Yvonne Chouinard just did with Patagonia? Oh, well, he's, he's a B Corp. Yeah. That's, yes. Okay. That's it then. Yes. He's a B Corp. Okay. He is. Yes. Yeah. Please. Okay. So everybody in this audience probably knows Patagonia and I live 10 minutes away from their headquarters and I've followed them and the brand loyalty and the things that they've been doing um, in terms of sustainability yeah. in the Patagonia region of Argentina and the, and the, and the, and the actual mountains and, and all these things. Now he did one thing completely different. He literally created its own. It's, it, so it's not a um, nonprofit anymore, but you're saying it's a B Corp. Can you, um, can, do you have yes. any more details about how that's actually working in, in, in function for our audience to understand in, in a real life example? Yeah. So, you know, not only Patagonia is a good example, but Ben and Jerry's is a B Corp okay. as well. They're another one. Yes. And, and one of the originals really within this experiment, which is going really well. And, you know, what Patagonia has done is, you know, they had all this, they have all this wealth. They are, you know, such a significant brand is that there was a decision. The board came together and stakeholders and shareholders, and they all came to get not shareholders so much because they didn't have that. They were independent, private, but they came together and said, what do we do with all this money? Do we go, do we go public? Is that what it's expected? Is that good for us and for the land and for our employees? They looked at all their options and ultimately, I know I probably won't say this exactly right, but they decided to make earth the singular shareholder and um, and said that they would create this foundation in other ways that they could go ahead and support anything going on in the world and all those that are also trying to support Earth. And that was so exciting that when he put out that letter, he was invited mostly throughout Europe for invitations to receive an award, to give a speech that he, I, I heard this from a friend of mine who has actually worked with him for years and is a personal friend because I asked if I could meet him. I wanted to, I was so inspired. And she said, Lori, he has come home and he has gone into his room and closed all of his shutters and curtains and he's napping. This was the, the 
impact, like the impact that he made. And the world was so grateful to have somebody at that level to make that courageous of a choice that he opened the door for others to try to do it. So it really yeah. is an opening. These are the roaring 20s. Yeah. We get to take capitalism. We get to take democracy. We get to take everything and make it better right mm-hmm. now. Yes. Lori, I'm in user experience. My entire job is to make products better. So I'm a product designer. And when I started listening, because capitalism is essentially an experiment mm-hmm. and it's gone so far off the rails that it, I, I constantly ask myself, what is it going to take to sort of right the ship? And I think there's a slow diversion happening, but I'm looking for that black swan that'll wake people up. And I think one of those possibilities, like you talked about, is Gen Z is coming in with a very different mindset. And I have seen over and over, and it's not like here smattering there, smattering there. I've heard a lot of Gen Z basically saying, I'm waiting for people just to say, let's not go to work today. Because if an entire generation stops working the traditional way, Mm -hmm. that is going to be devastating to the economy, you know, a lot more than we think it will. So, Oh my gosh. So big. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it. How do companies begin to engage the heart without breaking the bank and pissing off their shareholders? Yeah. You know, it really is always around values. If you if you set up what your key values are, like Patagonia again, and people get attracted like bees to honey for those values, and they respect those founders and those owners and they're communicated with, the, the key is that everybody's looking for meaning. You know, if you, if you study uh, Viktor Frankl, who was a, that psychologist, you know, who was pulled into the concentration camps. Yeah. His wife was killed. His family was killed. He survived. He leaves that and he writes down that he has a different thought or idea from Freud or Adler. He said, you know, the main meaning is not sexual impulse. It's not power, which was Adler. He said is a deep need, deep need for meaning. And if humans do not have it because of the potential of our brains and what we're capable of, we will go to something that feels meaningful. That's why you have men flooding into the military when they have a life that is just bereft of relationship or love or purpose. They find purpose there. You have people that will go and do everything they can to be an influencer, to be wealthy, or to be fabulously famous, because that seems to bring some meaning. And so there's this, you know, ultimately we go to violence, and we're seeing a lot of that right now, because what gives you a sense of meaning more than death or near death? So if you are an empl- as an employer, what, you, uh, what you're doing for the world, what the product that you have or the service and you can convey the meaning that it has for others and for the employees and create a set of values around that, people will come work for you for 15 to 20% below market, if not for free. Here's the thing. They'll produce 50% more. Human productivity, when appreciated, is it, it's, it crushes every other team. It's the one thing when you bring appreciation to your employees. So I'm a leader of a couple of people in my team and all I do really is appreciate them. I constantly tell them they're doing amazing, even if they're not. And guess what? They end up making it more amazing. They always rise to my expectation rather than fall to my condemnation. And mm-hmm. I think that's what's missing in a lot of organizations 
like let's go back to Twitter, which is Rich's example, uh, is this, I think Elon went a little too far because he, he, he's basically the exact opposite of an empath. He has almost no connection to his heart. Fair. And in doing so, he missed out on all the creativity that has happened in Twitter. Twitter was an amazing organization. It was almost a B Corp, but it wasn't. And, but it was as a culture wise. Now, it was an example of going so far, way too far over on the right side towards the heart that everyone can agree with. Uh, the uh, Williamson or Isaacson documented in Elon's book. So Twitter, uh, Elon took it all the way to the other side. It's there is a balance in the middle that I think has to happen for any organization because it's not just about because Elon is about productivity, but you get better productivity when you take care of your people. I do believe that he also, though, fair, fair to be spoken, is that he brought up a lot of corruption. There was definitely a lot of yeah, things yes. and people that couldn't yes. even have any voice. Whether you like it or not, First Amendment, you know, allows you, um, you know, to be able to freedom of speech was completely shut down. So I think you're right there. He probably what he did is he threw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. But one of the things I wanted to go back to is not only does Patagonia as an employer meet the employees and help them be productive, but they have a consumer base that's willing to pay more for something that's made from recycled trash and plastic bottles. So you've got a great product now that's the margins are high. I mean, you can spend $800 on a jacket and ski pants and you're doing it because you're loyal to the cause. You know that it's going to be effective in the outdoors, but at the same time, you know that the margins are probably really good for the same thing to be reinforced again and again and again. And that brand loyalty, I think, is absolutely incredible. Well, that's like, so a couple other companies that are on the on the B list include um, Athleta, which we've probably heard, Tom Love Shoes. That. Tom Shoes basically created a product that cost about five bucks, but he based his margins on giving two pairs away. And that's just smart business. He, 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 his was a great marketing campaign. I remember when he came out. But it's always going back and uh, reaching that point where you say our employees are the most important thing. And when we do that, the second layer needs to be customers. Because like you said, Rich, when you create an amazing product, you want to support it. And if those two happen, then shareholders make a lot of money. That to me is a theory. And we're so out of balance Given AI and what we know about human productivity, if we would write the ship, we would be able to create am- amazing new amounts of productivity because people want to show up for work. They do. I do have to mention something really quickly. Unfortunately for um, Tom's, Blake Mykoski, um sold half the company to Bain Capital. As they were my customer, I brought them on to LinkedIn back in the um, 2013s, 14s, 15s, and um, a lot of people were absolutely devastated because I don't know what happened because he expanded into eyeglasses as well as coffee in addition to the original shoes that he had. And everybody loved it. We were all there. We're all take off your shoe, shoe day. And then I'm seeing him come in and talk about a PR disaster. I, there was a there's a video of him in an Avis commercial. He shows up in a, in, a, in a suburban as the only person driving to go visit, let's say, a customer. So rather than showing up in a Prius or something, some ride share, he's driving as an advertisement for Avis, the only guy in an eight-passenger you know, suburban that's getting eight miles to the gallon. I'm like, heaven 
to Murgatroyd, please somebody <laughs> do a PR for this guy. But um, anyway, oh, it, 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 it's funny how it goes. But Lori, I wanted to pivot back to you because we've been talking about kind of um, these global perspectives. I'd love to hear um, specifically how you're helping out individuals go through their um, day-to-day, um, either through a layoff or some kind of trauma or through pad or mat leave, and then maybe um, highlight what we talked about earlier with that video. And so tell us a little bit about how you're getting in the weeds and helping out. Um, I think you're, st- you're doing that as well, right? Are you, st- are yeah. you helping individuals as well as um, yes. helping out? Okay, great. Yeah. So career ecology um, in this masterclass is all about um, empowerment through authentic relating. And you know, what I find, I think it also goes to the organizations is that, you know, what do you really care about? What are you really about, all about? If you can touch into that, you can express that. Then we can find that an ecosystem integrates well. You know, we would, if you look out your window right now, I'd never want to see, you know, a, maybe a bee that's jealous of the hummingbird because it can't fly as high. So it's just going to sit in its hive and eat honey and be all depressed and, and just do that. Thank goodness in nature. Every single being and aspect of nature is all about living vibrantly into what it is and what its gift is and what it brings. I have found as a recruiter and now as Career Ecology is the founder of this, is that people, especially in our country, if you are an introvert, that you have a harder time interviewing, getting hired, and maybe even growing in your role. Um, I am an extrovert. I am married to a deep introvert. I would say he is Charlie Brown level introvert, okay? A melancholic cynic as well. And he is my soulmate and I love him and he has shown me so much of the value in those that are looking for danger. Maybe they're the ones in the meeting that says, that's not going to work and here's why. And people are used to here in America, we're like, we don't want to hear that. We're just going to rush forward. But there's this whole process of going slow, staying curious. This is where we're bringing in some of the feminine aspects about making really good choices where in a sense, we're putting down a taproot. You know, I think about the experiment that happened years ago, I think it was in Nevada, and an organization made a bio bubble or kind of a biosphere, and they wanted to make like a Garden of Eden. And they planted all these trees and all these ferns and everything. And it was, it was, it was perfect. And then, and there was like, there was no fungus, there was no problem, you know, I mean, everything was thriving. And then they went ahead and took off the cover and the slightest wind blew and the trees fell over. It turns out that they didn't have a chance through the the normal sort of back and forth and crisis and learning and growing together that they didn't establish a root structure. Mm -hmm. So what I'm doing when I work with individuals is I'm saying, let's go deeper than just this surfacey thing that unfortunately happens a lot in this country of you're successful if you're, you know, beautiful and rich and on top of it and kicking it and crushing it. You know, who are you? What is it that you really care about? What can you really bring? And so we start with this responsive resume. I used to call it feng shui resume. Um, do you guys know what feng shui is? Do you know yes. that term? Okay. Yes. Some people are like, what? You know, and it's ancient Chinese. It's this idea that wind and water can move through a room, in this case, through a resume. If it moves through unobstructed, then you're going to have, um, you're going to be rewarded really with just, you know, all sorts of prosperity in many, many different ways. And so the first thing I do is I guide people back intimately to themselves and they write their own resume under my guidance. Let me tell you something. This is not easy for people. They are used to outsourcing that. They don't want to look at themselves. They're not sure what they're going to see. And they have spent their whole time running and chasing to try to make money that they've even forgotten all the good stuff that they've done. 
So we stop, they have to take a breath and they have to work with me and they have to come back into relationship with self. And that's the beginning of it. And that is really, one man just told me it was the hardest thing he's ever done. He's in his mid fifties now, he's been a CEO, completely forgot all his value because now he's into the ageism concerns. And just to take, it took him four months to get through it. And he's a changed man, you know, he's lit up through a resume. That's what it can do. It's kind of cool. Lori, what's your <laughs> journey? Yeah. What is your outcome for your clients that you work with? What is the sort of the promise of your organization? Yes, it is success infused with wellness and infused with well-being. Um, you don't have to suffer. It need not be a complete takedown of your mental state, of your financial situation. If we can, we've been talking a little bit about left brain, right brain, masculine, feminine. We want a union of all of this. The problem yeah. is that we've been all separate, right? And we want this gorgeous, sexy, passionate, you know, come back to each other kind of union. And so when I'm, I'm helping people to reclaim their heart intelligence, and I say basically my phrase is that, you know, when your mind intelligence bows to heart intelligence, then life harmonizes. Um, mm -hmm. But the yes. heart is the poet in the corner of the room. It's the quiet introvert. The ego is the extrovert that really takes all. Ego is, is, is Elon, right? And then we have, we'll have the introvert that might be the, somebody that's working in the ballet or art or something or some sort of art infusion or something that really does inspire the soul of humans. We always need to have that meaning and that soulfulness. So people come back to themselves. I had one gentleman who I was helping who had gone six months. He's a software engineer, brilliant. He was interviewing, not getting chosen, interviewing, not getting chosen. He got to the point where he stopped showering, stopped hugging his kids. He stopped taking any necessary meds that he was on. He became extremely depressed. And I took him through and taught him the truth about interviewing. And I said, this is not a moment of performance, whether or not you're good enough. This is a moment of human connection. This is a moment of service. And I want you and I'm going to teach you to interview from the place of how can I help you know me? And then even if that person on the other end is a bully or they're very shy and not good at this or anything kind of happens, that seems like a huge distraction that normally would pull you off your game. When you're interviewing from that place of service, then you lean in because your mind is saying and your heart is saying, oh, this is odd. This requires my assistance. So we get away from the ego, which does a lot of damage when we're trying to meet someone new because it's all performance. I, I love that process um, when you're in that funnel. And I believe that's how you differentiate. There's an intentionality and that heart comes through and there's nothing to deny it, right? When you're truly intentional and your heart and mind is aligned and you're having these conversations or you're having these dialogues, I think people can feel that. However, I've got some really good friends who have been out of work for a year. We're talking really good salespeople, some of them who I've worked at LinkedIn. Another gal just got a job after getting laid off in October and they've sent out hundreds of, of, of resumes, applied for hundreds of jobs, barely gotten a response back on one or two and had a handful and they're really in a despondent state. So where do you, let's say you're in that top of the funnel where you're still just trying to get something. Yeah. How did you have a similar, t tell us how you, well, how you suggest um, yeah. my friend go through that process and what to do? Yes. I, I so appreciate that you brought that up because 
what part of what I'm teaching through career ecology is not only the authentic relating. So really that resume, the linear style is from the uh, you know industrial age. It's like, okay, yeah. you're a widget, you're a widget. So I've, this feng shui resume allows you to shine and show up in a really interesting way that hiring managers need to see. There's the mindful interviewing, but here's the thing. There is this process that I call the dynamic search, and I'm using the word dynamic from the farm. <laughs> but what I'm saying to people is you want to create a vibrant farm. You cannot plant just one seed and expect that the environment and that the soil and that you know everything else that the, the rest of the beings you know kind of in this farm want or need and what's going to happen. It needs to be diverse crop. So these this couple that did this farm, they said, oh, sure, well, we'll come up with eight different stone fruit trees. That's diverse. And their consultant said, oh, that's a joke. He said, we need 80 varieties. You know, mm -hmm. Right now, of, of the honeybee, there's about, I think, 115 varieties of the honeybee, the, honey, or the honeybee. And the reason for that is that there could be any sort of fungus or any sort of change in temperature. And that one is, is sort of taken out for a while. So what I guide people when they're looking for jobs and what I would say to these people that have been out for a year is that the, the match between or the marriage between the left brain and the right brain is that you need to look at this strategically to the extent that you want to have a three-fold path because you got to collaborate with chance. You might be hitting a wall here because you're actually supposed to go ahead and kind of gig it with part-time and start your own company. You know, that's actually going to be aligned with your highest good. But if you're not playing at least more than one up to three at a time, then you're not actually using that strategic partner, which is mystery. You know, 50% is your engagement. The other half, everything outside of your control. You could be in interviewing for that job and then boom, somebody's cousin comes in and they get hired. But we can look at that as guidance because that door shut because that's not actually for your highest good. So there's this spiritual almost aspect that says, all right, bring it on. I am going to do this in a way that my left brain loves. I have a strategy. I even have a spreadsheet. I even have data and statistics and I have networking and I'm doing it all right but I'm going to play with chance and I'm going to see kind of that power of yes. Where am I going to end up? And it's going to be a wild ride and just watch the show because here I go. Yeah. So you said a threefold path. Do you actually, can you delineate those for us, please? Yeah. So what I'll say to somebody, I'll say, all right, first of all, what is your status quo? So let's say hey. it's your salesperson. Well, I should be hired for this because I've been doing it for X amount of years and I have success. Okay. So let's make that, let's make that easy. Let's go after that for now. Second option is slightly divergent. So let's, this is a salesperson. Well, what if they their divergent was a whole different industry sector? Or what if it was that they decide to go into sales training instead of being a salesperson? You know, things like this. So we go divergent. And then the third one is out of the box. So there was a woman one time, I was taking th her through her threefolds. She had her first, her second, those were obvious. The third one, she, she was a pharmacist. Third one, she said to me, you know, Lori, I'm nervous. I, I'm embarrassed. I don't want to tell you. I'm embarrassed. It's stupid. And I said, that's the point. What's on your mind? What is that really out of the box? And she said, well, I'm completing right now certification in library science. And you know, here she is, a pharmacist. And I said, library science. She says, Lori, I love the idea of knowledge and sharing, even like the quietness. She's, she's just into it. And I said, well, turns out that one of my best friends is the dean of the medical library at Stanford. Would you like to have lunch? She now works there. She is living out her dream. And the only reason is because she had a threefold path. And I, she I love this so much. much. Yeah. I, I think 
Lori, what do you tell people who are taking like the true out of the bucket? Like, what would you say to them to give them the courage? Because I think a lot of more people want the out of the bucket than the other two. I think people are tired of the status quo. They don't want something a little bit different. They want something meaningful. Yeah. What do you tell those people? Yeah. You know, I say, you know, I'm going to have to teach you to um, say, I don't know. Sometimes I want you to be able to live with not knowing and trusting that as you are going through and you're applying to these jobs in these three different ways, that you're going to go with the outcome. And, and this is how you get to live your life. You get to live it as this collaboration with this amazing universe. I think we we get into trouble as humans because we think we control and know everything. You know, we are in this vast universe that is so complex right now here in California. There could be a nine you know, on the Richter scale, some sort of earthquake, you know, and that can completely change the trajectory of my life right now. I have already done all my personal work in my life through therapy, through being married to my soulmate who I've tried to divorce a thousand times because we love each other so much that we fight, you know, and through, you know, being my own business owner, being a recruiter is very zen. You have no control. So I've done all of my work now that I just say crisis is actually an opening change is an, is an opening. It's moving me forward because my end result is I want to know love. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to be so controlled. I don't want to choke it. So when people work with me, I say, you know what? This is a, this experience. It's practical and it's poetic. Your soul's dying. Your soul needs to feel, it's like it's dying for meaning. So let's bring back the working soul and, and let's have a ball, you know? And so everyone who works with me, we're really going through it that way. And they have to feel the burn and they have to show up for themselves. And at the end, they're like, I am like a monarch butterfly. I have shed a lot. I have been in the dark chrysalis. I'm out now and I'm a little weary, but I'm ready to fly. You know, that's why it's a hero's journey. Organizational life is decidedly masculine and it's trying to shift, um, and I, this is where I wish organizations would really understand if you, if you learned how to take care of people effectively to say, let's, let's help you find your best space. Even if you come in one way, that may not be your best space. Like IBM, my dad worked for IBM for 25 years and their policy was, you may not be a good fit here, but you're smart enough to get hired here. So we're going to find where you should go. That is an organization that cares about its people. They don't do that. They actually cut that out. And uh, it's it's this shift where people can find that out of the box. Like I appreciate organizations that have a policy that we're going to lay you off, but we're going to help you find your next journey. Yeah. You know, it's like have the sense of compassion because there's a lot of goodwill created for the both sets of employees, the ones that are exiting and ones that are staying going, we don't work for a shitty organization. You know, it's like when people cut out, Facebook let off, laid off what, 10,000 people recently. And, and all the organizations went through a huge layoff last year. And it's getting to the point where we got to start caring about people. It's starting so, to happen again. My, my colleague just said um, Google, Amazon, and Citibank are all laying off massive amounts of people, Jonathan. Um, just He mentioned yeah. this today. So something's yeah. going to happen in 2024. And I think the way you break through it is through community and, um, and these, and these, these heart-centered groups that can actually work together to find that right spot for people. That's where 
maybe we call it serendipity, but it's actually not. It's manifesting kind of intentionally coming through. I mean, Lori, um, I, I've had a tough go. You know, I've been in sales my whole life, loved um, ADP and LinkedIn, made lots of present clubs. And, you know, when you get in the 50s and you are in enterprise sales and you, you, you go through a challenging set of years at COVID, you're like wondering what the hell's wrong with me, right? And I've talked to lots of really good friends who are like, Rich, I don't, I, we, we've crushed it together. We were sitting up on stage, you know, seven years ago, and I don't know if I know how to sell anymore. And um, I just, I, I did a lot of work with Jonathan in terms of like, um, I've been doing a lot of meditation and a lot of kind of man manifestation work. And I had one of the best years of my entire life, actually just made club. And wow, it's been a lot of, you know. Like by 20%, it was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what I'm getting at though is, is like when you, when you look at the reality of that. And so, um, I, I, I was trying to come up with something more specific and I don't think it was regarding, um, the layoffs here, but there's this place where if you open up your mind to what could be re out there and your heart is aligned with that, and then your mind is, it will come, you draw it through John. And we talked about this kind of manifestation where you're drawing these things to through to you. And sometimes we have to fake it till you make it. But when you actually start spending your time with the right people and then tapping into meditation and prayer, that's when it starts to go beyond just being a crapshoot and actually being real. And I, I just, yes. um, maybe that's a good time to pivot because I'm thinking about this gal, um, um, Brittany, who was on, she, she had hundreds of thousands of views. She recorded her termination at Cloudflare. She was yeah. the number with a number of people. She's setting this up and she's basically saying, can you tell me why you're getting rid of me? Yeah. And I loved her strength because they couldn't fire her for performance because she was saying, I did all the right things. I had all the right activity. And by the way, I've only been here for four months, right? It, including some of the hardest times of the year to sell. So are you firing me because you hired too many people and you made a mistake budget wise, or are you firing me for other reasons? And I think she did a great job because she was being talked to by two people she'd never seen before. So what advice would you give Brittany um, and or others that are going through the same thing as she is um, today? Mm, yeah. Boy, first of all, I just want to give her a hug. Oh, God, yeah. just the look on her face, just the, you could tell that she wished her manager was there. She just wished that the whole experience was so different. It was so cold. You know, it felt so cold. And I know the people in the other end, it wasn't fun for them. Um, you know, when I look at that situation and this kind of goes back to what Jonathan was saying as well, is that, you know, going forward, when people get hired, if we can have an inspirational meeting that says, folks, we are here part of this vast ecosystem and we're shapeshifters. Like we don't know if supply lines lines could shut down, you know, tomorrow and we have to stop a whole product line, which means that we would have to shift and maybe we would have to let go of some of you. We don't know because we don't control because we know the world is full of war right now. You know, the whole bunch going on with all of these materials. So there's this aspect of even being a leader that we start to help advance people to be more comfortable with sudden change. So perhaps in Brittany's situation, if the company had said, here's our situation, here's our environment, we are competing, we hope we have the best, but we're going to keep you informed. And if we have to shapeshift, we've already got, you know, something like, hey, we got career ecology, they're all about, you know, that'd be amazing. So I'm trying to talk to companies, we got somebody who's here to hold and empower you poetically, and in every way, practically. So you we got you if that happens. But of course, this was not the case. So what she's experiencing is something I called antagonistic mentoring. 
And I teach this through the work I do. And it's something I learned from Michael Mead, who is one of my very favorite podcasters in the space of mythology. And what he helps us understand is that those mentors in our life that help us grow or or succeed, it's really the ones that create a crisis that force us out of one um, place in our life or something that we're doing or some sort of situation and forces us very quickly over here that you can look at where you have the greatest change in growth. It's the ones that are just nice mentors that are just kind of helping you, but you're really still a little bit, you know, neutral. Things aren't really changing. So we can change the mindset. So the first thing that I would do with her and people who I work with who've been laid off is we first vent through the trauma and we experience that like Gabor Mate would talk about, you know, that trauma. We don't want to just develop coping mechanisms. We want it to be out because that's part of the heat. It's part of the fire. So we want to feel that. And then we talk about this is in service to you. And I know it doesn't feel like it, but there is something that awaits you. So after you've had your time off and you're crying and you're you're still going to feel those things. Let's get on with collaborating with the mystery and let's find out what awaits you because this was so abrupt. There's definitely something coming and it's going to be great. Uh, I believe it. I've seen it a thousand times. Yeah. Lori, I want to ask you, because we talked about this before we started recording, um, help us understand the career hero's journey. Help us understand that. The uh, modern day hero's journey. My head goes around. Is like, so I, I want to say being a salesperson is also a hero's journey. Um, it's very hard because you don't control <laughs> anything. Uh, you well, know? Everything is proving yourself every day. Every day. Every day. It's like, you know how, if you guys have ever seen a, a honeybee again, that's like d- dying and you're like, oh, it's this 1000th flight and its little wings are tattered. That's what it's like to be a salesperson. That's what it's like to be looking for a job. You're constantly out there going for the pollen, trying to get it, you know, trying to bring it back, trying to make honey. So it is, I see it as a hero's journey because especially when you've been let go, like in Brittany's case, she is now thrust out and she has all sorts of emotions and feelings. So, you know, wondering if she's good enough and what does she do wrong? What's she going to do now? And how is she going to pay her mortgage? She has $3,000. I'm making this up, but you know, whatever her bills might be. So you're thrust out. And if you weren't given any help with any sort of outplacement, again, I want it to be empowerment, then it's like you've been thrust out into this like dark woods and you don't know, like you don't understand where food is. You don't know where water is. When it gets dark, you're afraid you're going to get eaten, you know, and your job is to try to go up that mountain, see a vision and find your way back to some sort of wonderful place to live. And so I see it as primal. I see this in between job thing with all the rejection, all the ghosting, that it touches someplace deep down where we're afraid of dying. And our modern world has regressed much faster than our nervous systems. I get ghosted by a friend and I'm out of my mind, like worried. You know, I'm, I'm very sensitive. So ghosting to me goes very quickly back to a primal fear and, and I get pretty bitter. Um, some people not as much, but it really does affect all of us. And so it is a hero's journey where if we can, if you imagine like the, the round table, you know, Arthur and all of that, those knights were sent out on their quest with an Excalibur, with food, with a trusty horse, you know, whatever they needed. And off they went into the treacherous woods and they found their way. And by the end they were more resilient and they were heroes. So I show up for people and I say, I got your granola bar. I got your compass. I got your water bottle. 
you're the one who's climbing the mountain. I'm not your coach. I'm actually your Sherpa. And I'm going to help you get there because I know you haven't been here lately. And it's not as scary as it looks. Yeah. What do you tell them when they want to turn back down to the mountain or down and go back down? Sometimes, you know, since they are the ones that are in charge of that, I have people that work for me. You're just the Sherpa. Yeah, I'm I'm the Sherpa. And so they if they want to go and sit at the bottom of that mountain and they need to sit there and feel the feels, they got to sit there and I will hold space for that because part of this process is really facing something in yourself. And there may be, you know, for women especially, um, it was only a couple of years ago when I coach women that are going through a job process. And you know how you have to fill out that, that survey sometimes, like that psychological survey to see if you fit the culture? It was only a few years ago that I would say to women, fill it out as you are, as your masculine and feminine self. In the past, I would say, fill it out as your work self, your masculine self. You can't be all in. Um, so sometimes for women, I find that they sit at the foot of the mountain because they're not sure it's okay to be upset. They're not sure that they can have access to their rage and to their emotion, to their power sense, to their power center. And so sometimes it's just almost sitting in there on the fire and then realizing I got to go. I can't just live here. You know, there's, this is, it's time to change. So I'm very patient with people and very, very compassionate, but I nudge them though. I just say, Hey, it's almost the new year. You want to get that resume done? <laughs> Let's get that one out there. You know, yeah. gotta be encouraging. So Laura, we have time for about two more questions and I'll take the first one, Rich, you can set yours up. You uh, have this idea of the trauma of interviewing that no one is talking about. What is that? Mm, yeah. Ooh. You know, when I told you a, a little bit ago, I spoke of the gentleman who had six, it was six months of interviewing and all these no's got to the point, and, and there's are so many people I can think of through the years, that they'll get to the interview and they come forward already assuming that they'll be rejected. And yeah. it's so traumatizing because what's going on is actually self-abandonment, yes. which is yes. the worst kind, right? The worst kind. So you know what happens? I have come to know, and this is something similar because we're all part of the same world and culture. So have you both, either one of you ever had the dream that you missed an exam in college or you even forgot you had the course? Yes. You ever had that, that scary dream? Yes. <laughs> I get teeth falling out and sometimes flying dreams and sometimes um, like falling dreams off cliffs and stuff, but I've not had the forgetting about the exams. Not yet. <laughs> oh, but the teeth. I've had the teeth one. Oh, that's a, that's a really gnarly dream. I've had that one. Oh my gosh. So typically what people unconsciously or sometimes consciously say to themselves the night before an interview is this is this negative ego voice. And the first message is, uh, dude, you know what? You've been so busy. You haven't had time to prepare. You're going to make a fool of yourself tomorrow. You just no, don't do it. You know, because the ego wants you to actually quit it. It doesn't want you to go into a situation where you might be rejected. So the ego's like, no, no. The second message of the ego is, and by the way, you're just not good enough. So just mm -hmm. quit. Yeah. So I actually have people the night before interviews. They are uh, part of their work with me is that they say these two positive mantras out loud as the last thing before the lights go out. And I want it out loud because it needs to vibrate through the body. It can't just be like a passing cloud. And so the two positive mantras, the first one is, I am ready and I have access to everything I need to connect. That is a very powerful mantra because that second part, I have access, 
If you just did, I'm ready, the ego goes, no, you're not. And you go, yes, I am. No, I'm not. It's just an argument. Um, but the truth is you do have access. You, there's so much you can talk about. You still can respond no matter what. The second mantra is, and I'm a good person and I bring tremendous value to this world. And that sounds like, oh, isn't that maybe just toxically positive? Well, it's actually based on two principles of nature, which is diversity and cooperation. So if we don't have anybody's unique voice, then diversity is not served. And if diversity is not served, life is not served. If life is not served, love is not served. So I yeah. bring it home to people. I don't care about if you're new grad and you're only 21 and you think you have no voice and no value, or if you're 60 and you're worried now that ageism is coming into play. All of wherever you are and whatever you bring is unique. Only you bring it. And that's why it matters. They got to know it here first, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I was coming up with two questions and one of them was more funny, pun, pun, you know, tongue in cheek. And that is, um, how do we introduce cortisol to pregnant women instead of Pitocin to have babies based on your 9-11 example? Right. Um, <laughs> um, the second one is, is more specific to, to my son and his colleagues. So he works for a staffing agency that provides, um, obviously, people and bodies to their clients whom they represent. And they are in the um, fire alarm installation side of things. They're in the AV, um, audio video world, like multi, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to put in sound equipment and, and lighting and stuff for these places. And then thirdly, I think they do more um, security kinds of like, like CCTV camp, you know, which is important for security. So he's got a very limited space with these people he's talking to. Unlike what you're saying, hey, you've got the status quo, you've got this idea of a slight divergence, or let's open up, you know, out of the box scenario. He can't provide, hey, you've been here, you've been doing this. Um, well, maybe he can. Maybe he can actually say, listen, you've been used to doing AV, go over here. So what would you suggest for some folks that maybe are, li are living in swim lanes that don't have as much flexibility to have the, um, the threefold path? Yeah. You know, I think you might be surprised like that, that pharmacist, you know, she went to be that librarian. Um, but of course it was medical. So that was the stream across. Um, what I find is that people might be surprised that when they're talking to a mentor or somebody like me, like a doula, and that I just bring that conversation alive of what they love and what they do. Um, you know, I've had people talk to me about, gosh, you know, I just love travel so much, you know, and there's this whole concept of, have you ever thought about matching your sales to something to do with you know, working for like a Marriott, you know, where now you get to travel the world, um, especially when you have sales skills. Oh my gosh, those yeah. are transferable so far, so far, so far. Um, you know, right? I mean, the sales, sales if you're is the number that, one skill. It is the number one skill you want to have in all of business. Yeah, it yeah. really is. And you know what I'm finding? There are people that are becoming freelance salespeople. Ooh, freelance. Well, affiliate marketers buy on their own right, right? If they become more and more, um, if they if they know how to grasp an, an understanding of something, they can then just be this kind of local focal point, if you would, uh, of additional touching points and then become, you know, very valuable in that regard. Or they can actually go into their own trade, right? So what were we going to say, Jonathan? Uh, no, I forgot. Um, it's okay. Yeah. Lori, I, I want to thank you so much for joining us. This has been, this is every time we say this, we said, this has been a fabulous conversation. You, I, what I love is your spirit and your heart, because mm -hmm. what you're after is people. 
And I love that because at the end of the day, that is always going to nurture something good. And so thank you for being a guest on our podcast. This has been a wonderful experience. And uh, Rich, any final words? Yeah. You know, what's great about this is, um, Lori, we've often focused on the idea that we bring on folks that are outside the status quo. And you do meet that definition of doing things with the heart and, and tapping into things that involve feng shui and just you know, just ideas of, of, of spiritual guidance and, and of course, you know, right brain. But at the same time, you offered really practical kinds of things for people that are hurting, including Brittany out there. And so what I loved about this particular podcast, Jonathan, is we, we've got some folks that are just out there, right, Lori? They're throwing out stuff like, we're, I've, I've been to the highest heavens, I've seen God, you know, and then we've seen others that are like, mm-hmm. we're getting down in more of the trenches, right? And I just love both your, your you know, you this warm kind of, spiritual mother, you know, uh, Sherpa perspective at the same time, offering real life practical solutions for people who are desperately needing it right now. So thank you so much. Yeah. And I'm going to take away your Sherpa. That to me is the number one thing I'm taking away because I love the concept of I'm here to support your journey. I'm not here to tell you what to do. The traditional coaching model tells people what to do. You're trying to nurture them to discover it for themselves. So I love that. Yes. That's it. Bingo. (laughs) Thank you, guys. I've really enjoyed this. I wish that we could just have like a whole weekend and just talk about the whole world. And I wish that we could, you know, run it because I know we've got the perspectives in this room. I love both coming the left, right brain and masculine, feminine and conservative, um, liberal and everything that was in here because we want to come back to each other. And I talked about earlier union. There's nothing more romantic and more amazing than union and for for everyone to come back and fall in love with each other again. So I appreciate that energy you bring. Very much. Awesome. So uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been, again, one of my favorite episodes. They're always so good because I think we find really amazing people. So, Lori, thank you for joining us. To all of our listeners, please comment, review. We'd love to hear from you. Suggest guests. We find a lot of our guests from suggestions. So, uh, but we will see you in a week and have a great weekend, everybody. Much love.